Section 10 of The Pirate's Own Book by Charles Elms. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Brian von Diedenroth. The Pirate's Own Book by Charles Elms. Section 10. The Adventures of Captain Robert Kidd. The easy access to the harbor of New York, the number of hiding places about its waters, and the laxity of its newly organized government about the year 1695, made it a great rendezvous of pirates, where they might dispose of their booty and concert new depredations. As they brought home with them wealthy lading of all kinds, the luxuries of the tropics, and the sumptuous spoils of the Spanish provinces, and disposed of them with the proverbial carelessness of freebooters, they were welcome visitors to the thrifty traders of New York. Crews of these desperados, therefore, the renegades of every country and every clime, might be seen swaggering in open day about the streets, elbowing its quiet inhabitants, trafficking their rich outlandish plunder at half or quarter price to the wary merchant, and then squandering their prize money in taverns, drinking, gambling, singing, carousing, and astounding the neighborhood with midnight brawl and revelry. At length, these excesses rose to such a height as to become a scandal to the provinces, and to call loudly for the interposition of government. Measures were accordingly taken to put a stop to this widely extended evil, and to drive the pirates out of the colonies. Among the distinguished individuals who lurked about the colonies was Captain Robert Kidd. His real name was William Kidd who in the beginning of King William's War commanded a privateer in the West Indies and by his several adventurous actions acquired the reputation of a brave man as well as an experienced seaman. But he had now become notorious as a nondescript animal of the ocean. He was somewhat of a traitor, something more of a smuggler, but mostly a pirate. He had traded many years among the pirates in a little rakish vessel that could run into all kinds of water. He knew all their haunts and lurking places, and was always hooking about on mysterious voyages. Upon the good old maxim of setting a rogue to catch a rogue, Captain Kidd was recommended by the Lord Bellamont, then governor of Barbados, as well as by several other persons, to the government here as a person very fit to be entrusted to the command of a government ship and to be employed in cruising upon the pirates, as knowing those seas perfectly well, and being acquainted with all their lurking places. But what reasons governed the politics of those times I cannot tell. But this proposal met with no encouragement here, though it is certain it would have been of great consequence to the subject, our merchants suffering incredible damages by those robbers. Upon this neglect, the Lord Bellamont and some others, who knew what great captures had been made by the pirates and what prodigious wealth must be in their possession, were tempted to fit out a ship at their own private charge and to give the command of her to Captain Kidd, and to give the thing a greater reputation, as well as to keep their seamen under better command, they procured the king's commission for the said Captain Kidd, of which the following is an exact copy. William Rex William the Third, by the grace of God, King of England, Scotland, France, and Ireland, Defender of the Faith, and so on. 
to our trusty and well-beloved Captain Robert Kidd, commander of the ship the Adventure Galley, or to any other the commander of the same for the time being. Greeting. Whereas we are informed that Captain Thomas II, John Ireland, Captain Thomas Wake, and Captain William Mays or Mace, and other subjects, natives or inhabitants of New York and elsewhere, in our plantations in America, have associated themselves with diverse others, wicked and ill-disposed persons, and do, against the law of nations, commit many and great piracies, robberies, and depredations on the seas upon the parts of America. And in other parts, to the great hindrance and discouragement of trade and navigation, and to the great danger and hurt of our loving subjects, our allies, and all others, navigating the seas upon their lawful occasions. Now know ye that we being desirous to prevent the aforesaid mischiefs, and as much as in us lies, to bring the said pirates, freebooters, and sea-rovers to justice, have thought fit, and do hereby give and grant to the said Robert Kidd, to whom our commissions for exercising the office of Lord High Admiral of England have granted a commission as a private man of war, bearing date the eleventh day of December, 1695, and unto the commander of said ship for the time being, and unto the officers, mariners, and others which shall be under your command, full power and authority, to apprehend, seize, and take into your custody, as well the said Captain Thomas II, John Ireland, Captain Thomas Wake, and Captain William Mays or Mace, as all such pirates, freebooters, and sea-rovers, being either our subjects or of other nations associated with them, which you shall meet with upon the seas or coasts of America, or upon any other seas or coasts, which all the ships and vessels, and all such merchandises, money, goods, and wares, as shall be found on board or with them. In any case, they shall willingly yield themselves, but if they will not yield without fighting, then you are by force to compel them to yield, and we also require you to bring or cause to be brought such pirates, freebooters, or sea-rovers as you shall seize to a legal trial, to the end they may be proceeded against according to the law in such cases, and we do hereby command all our officers, ministers, and other, our loving subjects whatsoever, to be aiding and assisting to you in the premises. And we do hereby enjoin you to keep an exact journal of your proceedings in execution of the premises, and set down the names of such pirates, and of their officers and company, and the names of such ships and vessels as you shall by virtue of these presents take and seize, and the quantities of arms, ammunition, provision and lading of such ships, and the true value of the same, as near as you judge. And we do hereby strictly charge and command you, as you will answer to the contrary, at your peril that you do not in any manner offend or molest our friends or allies, their ships or subjects, by color or pretense of these presents, or the authority granted. In witness whereof we have caused our great seal of England to be affixed to these presents, given at our court in Kensington the 26th day of January, 
1695, in the seventh year of our reign. Captain Kidd had also another commission, which was called a commission of reprisals. For it being then wartime, this commission was to justify him in the taking of French merchant ships, in case he should meet with any. But as this commission is nothing to our present purpose, we shall not burthen the reader with it. Previous to sailing, Captain Kidd buried his Bible on the seashore, in Plymouth Sound, its divine precepts being so at variance with his wicked course of life that he did not choose to keep a book which condemned him in his lawless career. With these two commissions, he sailed out of Plymouth in May, 1696, in the adventure galley of 30 guns and 80 men. The place he first designed for was New York. In his voyage thither, he took a French banker, but this was no act of piracy, he having a commission for that purpose, as we have just observed. When he arrived at New York, he put up articles for engaging more hands, it being necessary to his ship's crew, since he proposed to deal with a desperate enemy. The terms he offered were that every man should have a share of what was taken, reserving for himself and owners forty shares, upon which encouragement he soon increased his company to one hundred and fifty-five men. With this company, he sailed first for Madeira, where he took in wine and some other necessaries. From thence, he proceeded to Bonavista, one of the Cape de Verde islands, to furnish the ship with salt, and from thence went immediately to St. Iago, another of the Cape de Verde islands, in order to stock himself with provisions. When all this was done, he bent his course to Madagascar the known rendezvous of pirates. In his way, he fell in with Captain Warren, Commodore of three men of war. He acquainted him with his design, kept them company two or three days, and then leaving them, made the best of his way for Madagascar, where he arrived in February 1696, just nine months from his departure from Plymouth. It happened that at this time, the pirate ships were, most of them, out in search of prey, so that, according to the best intelligence Captain Kidd could get, there was not one of them at that time about the island. Wherefore, having spent some time in watering his ship and taking in more provisions, he thought of trying his fortune on the coast of Malabar, where he arrived in the month of June following, four months from his reaching Madagascar. Hereabouts, he made an unsuccessful cruise, touching sometimes at the island of Mohila and sometimes at the Johanna between Malabar and Madagascar. His provisions were every day wasting, and his ship began to want repair. Wherefore, when he was at Johanna, he found means of borrowing a sum of money from some Frenchmen who had lost their ship but saved their effects and with this he purchased materials for putting his ship in good repair. It does not appear all this while that he had the least design of turning pirate, for near Mohilla and Johanna both he met with several Indian ships richly laden, to which he did not offer the least violence, though he was strong enough to have done what he pleased with them. And the first outrage or depredation I find he committed upon mankind was after his repairing his ship and leaving Johanna. He touched at a place called Mabi upon the Red Sea, where he took some guinea corn from the natives by force. 
After this, he sailed to Bab's Key, a place upon a little island at the entrance of the Red Sea. Here it was that he first began to open himself to his ship's company, and let them understand that he intended to change his measures, for, happening to talk of the Mocha fleet, which was to sail that way, he said, We have been unsuccessful hitherto, but courage, my boys, we'll make our fortunes out of this fleet. And finding that none of them appeared averse to it, he ordered a boat out, well manned, to go upon the coast to make discoveries, commanding them to take a prisoner and bring him to him, or get intelligence any way they could. The boat returned in a few days, bringing him word that they saw fourteen or fifteen ships ready to sail, some with English, some with Dutch, and some with Moorish colors. We cannot account for this sudden change in his conduct, otherwise than by supposing that he first meant well, while he had hopes of making his fortune by taking of pirates. But now, weary of ill success, and fearing lest his owners, out of humor at their great expenses, should dismiss him, and he should want employment, and be marked out for an unlucky man, rather, I say, than run the hazard of poverty, he resolved to do his business one way, since he could not do it another. He therefore ordered a man continually to watch at the masthead, lest this fleet should go by them, and about four days later, towards evening, it appeared in sight, being convoyed by one English and one Dutch man-of-war. Kidd soon fell in with them, and getting into the midst of them, fired at a Moorish ship which was next him. But the men-of-war, taking the alarm, bore down upon Kidd, and firing upon him, obliged him to steer off, he not being strong enough to contend with them. Now he had begun hostilities. He resolved to go on, and therefore he went and cruised along the coast of Malabar. The first prize he met was a small vessel belonging to Aden. The vessel was Moorish, and the owners were Moorish merchants. But the master was an Englishman. His name was Parker. Kidd forced him and a Portuguese that was called Don Antonio, which were all the Europeans on board, to take on with him. The first he designed as a pilot, and the last as an interpreter. He also used the men very cruelly, causing them to be hoisted up by the arms and drubbed with a naked cutlass to force them to discover whether they had money on board, and where it lay. But as they had neither gold nor silver on board, he got nothing by his cruelty. However, he took from them a bale of pepper and a bale of coffee, and so let them go. A little time after he touched at Carawar, a place upon the same coast, where before he arrived the news of what he had done to the Moorish ship had reached them, for some of the English merchants there had received an account of it from the owners, who corresponded with men, wherefore, as soon as Kidd came in, he was suspected to be the person who committed this piracy, and when Mr. Harvey and Mr. Mason, two of the English factory, came upon board and asked for Parker and Antonio, the Portuguese. But Kit denied that he knew any such persons, having secured them both in a private place in the hold, where they were kept for seven or eight days, that is, till Kid sailed from thence. However, the coast was alarmed, and a Portuguese man-of-war was sent out to cruise. Kidd met with her, and fought her about six hours, 
gallantly enough, but finding her too strong to be taken, he quitted her, for he was able to run away from her when he would. Then he went to a place called Porca, where he watered his ship and bought a number of hogs of the natives to victual his company. Soon after this, he came up with a moor ship, the master whereof was a Dutchman called Shipper Mitchell, and chased her under French colors, which they, observing, hoisted French colors too. When he came up with her, he hailed her in French, and they, having a Frenchman on board, answered him in the same language, upon which he ordered them to send their boat on board. They were obliged to do so, and having examined who they were, and from whence they came, he asked the Frenchman, who was a passenger, if he had a French pass for himself. The Frenchman gave him to understand that he had. Then he told the Frenchman that he must pass for a captain, and by, says he, you are the captain. The Frenchman durst not refuse doing as he would have him. The meaning of this was that he would seize the ship as fair prize, and as if she had belonged to French subjects, according to a commission he had for that purpose, though one would think, after what he had already done, he need not have recourse to a quibble to give his actions a color. In short, he took the cargo and sold it some time after, yet he still seemed to have some fears upon him, lest these proceedings should have a bad end, for, coming up with a Dutch ship some time after, when his men thought of nothing but attacking her, Kidd opposed it, upon which a mutiny arose, and the majority being for taking the said ship and arming themselves to man the boat to go and seize her. He told them, such as did, never should come on board him again, which put an end to the design, so that he kept company with the said ship some time without offering her any violence. However, this dispute was the occasion of an accident, upon which an indictment was grounded against Kidd, for Moore, the gunner, being one day upon deck, and talking with Kidd about the said Dutch ship, some words arose between them, and Moore told Kidd that he had ruined them all, upon which Kidd, calling him a dog, took up a bucket and struck him with it, which breaking his skull, he died next day. But Kidd's penitential fit did not last long, for coasting along Malabar, he met with a great number of boats, all of which he plundered. Upon the same coast, he also fell in with a Portuguese ship, which he kept possession of a week, and then having taken out of her some chests of India goods, thirty jars of butter, with some wax, iron, and a hundred bags of rice, he let her go. Much about the same time he went to one of the Malabar Islands for wood and water, and his cooper, being ashore, was murdered by the natives, upon which Kidd himself landed, and burnt and pillaged several of their houses, the people running away, but having taken one, he caused him to be tied to a tree, and commanded one of his men to shoot him. Then putting to sea again, he took the greatest prize which fell into his hands while he followed this trade. This was a Moorish ship of four hundred tons, richly laden, named the Cada Merchant. The master whereof was an Englishman, by the name of Wright, for the Indians often make use of English or Dutchmen to command their ships. 
their own mariners not being so good artists in navigation. Kidd chased her under French colors, and having come up with her, he ordered her to hoist out her boat and send on board of him, which being done, he told Wright he was his prisoner, and informing himself concerning the said ship, he understood there were no Europeans on board, except two Dutch and one Frenchman, all the rest being Indians or Armenians, and that the Armenians were part owners of the cargo. Kidd gave the Armenians to understand that if they would offer anything that was worth his taking for their ransom, he would hearken to it, upon which they proposed to pay him 20,000 rupees, not quite 3,000 pound sterling. But Kidd judged this would be making a bad bargain, wherefore he rejected it, and setting the crew on shore at different places on the coast, he soon sold as much of the cargo as came to ten thousand pounds. With part of it he also trafficked, receiving in exchange provisions or such other goods as he wanted. By degrees he disposed of the whole cargo, and when the division was made it came to about two hundred pound a man and having reserved forty shares to himself, his divided amounted to about eight thousand pound sterling. The Indians along the coast came on board and trafficked with all freedom, and he punctually performed his bargains, till about the time he was ready to sail, and then, thinking he should have no further occasion for them, he made no scruple of taking their goods and setting them on shore without any payment in money or goods, which they little expected. For as they had been used to deal with pirates, they always found them men of honor in the way of trade, a people enemies to deceit, and that scorned to rob but in their own way. Kidd put some of his men on board the Keda merchant, and with this ship and his own sailed for Madagascar. As soon as he had arrived and cast anchor, there came on board of him a canoe, in which were several Englishmen, who had formerly been well acquainted with Kidd. As soon as they saw him, they saluted him, and told him they were informed he was come to take them and hang them, which would be a little unkind in such an old acquaintance. Kidd soon dissipated their doubts, by swearing he had no such design, and that he was now in every aspect their brother. And just as bad as they, and calling for a cup of bamboo, drank their captain's health. These men belonged to a pirate ship, called the Resolution, formerly the Mocha Merchant, whereof one Captain Culliford was commander, and which lay at anchor not far from them. Kidd went on board with them, promising them his friendship and assistance, and Culliford, in his turn, came on board of Kidd and Kidd, to testify his sincerity in iniquity, finding Culliford in want of some necessaries, made him a present of an anchor and some guns, to fit him out for sea again. The adventure galley was now so old and leaky, that they were forced to keep two pumps continually going, wherefore Kidd shifted all the guns and tackle out of her into the Cata merchant, intending her for his man-of-war and as he had divided the money before, he now made a division of the remainder of the cargo, soon after which the greatest part of the company left him, some going on board Captain Culliford, and others absconding into the country, 
so that he had not above forty men left. He put to sea and happened to touch at Amboina, one of the Dutch Spice Islands, where he was told that the news of his actions had reached England and that he was there declared a pirate. The truth of it is, his piracy so alarmed our merchants that some motions were made in Parliament to inquire into the commission that was given him and the persons who fitted him out. These proceedings seemed to lean a little hard upon Lord Bellamont, who thought himself so touched thereby that he published a justification of himself in a pamphlet after Kidd's execution. In the meantime, was thought advisable, in order to stop the course of these piracies, to publish a proclamation, offering the king's free pardon to all such pirates as should voluntarily surrender themselves, whatever piracies they had been guilty of, at any time before the last day of April, 1699. That is to say, for all piracies committed eastward of the Cape of Good Hope to the longitude and meridian of Socatora and Cape Cormoran, in which proclamation Avery and Kidd were accepted by name. When Kidd left Amboina, he knew nothing of this proclamation, for certainly, had he had notice of his being accepted in it, he would not have been so infatuated as to run himself into the very jaws of danger, but relying upon his interest with the Lord Bellamont, and fancying that a French pass or two he found on board some of the ships he took would serve to countenance the matter, and that part of the booty he got would gain him new friends, I say all these things made him flatter himself that all would be hushed, and that justice would but wink at him. Wherefore he sailed directly for Boston laden with booty, with a crew of swaggering companions at his heels. But no sooner did he show himself in Boston than the alarm was given of his reappearance, and measures were taken to arrest him. The daring character which Kidd had acquired, however, and the desperate fellows who followed like bulldogs at his heels, caused a little delay in his arrest. He took advantage of this to bury the greater part of his immense treasure which has never been found, and then carried a high head about the streets of Boston. He even attempted to defend himself when arrested, but was secured and thrown into prison. Such was the formidable character of this pirate and his crew, that a frigate was sent to convey them to England for trial. Accordingly, a sessions of admiralty being held at the Old Bailey in May 1701, Captain Kidd, Nicholas Churchill, James Howe, Robert Lumley, William Jenkins, Gabriel Loff, Hugh Parrott, Richard Barleycorn, Abel Owens, and Darby Mullins were arraigned for piracy and robbery on the high seas, and all found guilty except three. These were Robert Lumley, William Jenkins, and Richard Barleycorn, who, proving themselves to be apprentices, to some of the officers of the ship, and producing their indentures in court, were acquitted. The three above mentioned, though they were proved to be concerned in taking and sharing the ship and goods mentioned in the indictment, yet as the gentlemen of the long robe rightly distinguished, there was a great difference between their circumstances and the rest, for there must go an intention of the mind and a freedom of the will to the committing an act of felony or piracy. A pirate is not to be understood to be under constraint, but a free agent, 
for in this case the bare act will not make a man guilty unless the will make it so now a servant it is true if he go voluntarily and have his proportion he must be accounted a pirate for then he acts upon his own account and not by compulsion and these persons according to the evidence received their part but whether they accounted to their masters for their shares afterwards is the matter in question and what distinguishes them as free agents or men that did go under the compulsion of their masters which being left to the consideration of the jury they found them not guilty kidd was tried upon an indictment of murder also viz for killing more the gunner and found guilty of the same nicholas churchill and james howe pleaded the king's pardon as having surrendered themselves within the time limited in the proclamation and colonel bass governor of west jersey to whom they surrendered being in court and called upon proved the same however this plea was overruled by the court because there being four commissioners named in the proclamation viz captain thomas warren israel hayes peter delanoy and christopher pollard esquires who were appointed commissioners and sent over on purpose to receive the submissions of such pirates as should surrender it was adjudged no other person was qualified to receive their surrender and that they could not be entitled to the benefit of the said proclamation because they had not in all circumstances complied with the conditions of it darby mullins urged in his defence that he served under the king's commission and therefore could not disobey his commander without incurring great punishments that whenever a ship or ships went out upon any expedition under the king's commission the men were never allowed to call their officers to an account why they did this or why they did that because such a liberty would destroy all discipline that if anything was done which was unlawful the officers were to answer for it for the men did no more than their duty in obeying orders he was told by the court that acting under the commission justified in what was lawful but not in what was unlawful he answered he stood in need of nothing to justify him in what was lawful but the case of seamen must be very hard if they must be brought in such danger for obeying the commands of their officers and punished for not obeying them and if they were allowed to dispute the orders there could be no such thing as command kept at sea this seemed to be the best defence the thing could bear but his taking a share of the plunder the seamen's mutinying on board several times and taking upon them to control the captain showed there was no obedience paid to the commission and that they acted in all things according to the custom of pirates and freebooters which weighing with the jury they brought him in guilty with the rest as to captain kidd's defence he insisted much on his own innocence and the villainy of his men he said he went out in a laudable employment and had no occasion being then in good circumstances to go a-pirating that the men often mutinied against him and did as they pleased that he was threatened to be shot in the cabin and that ninety-five left him at once and set fire to his boat so that he was disabled from bringing his ship home or the prizes he took to have them regularly condemned 
which he said were taken by virtue of a commission under the broad seal, they having French passes. The captain called one Colonel Hewson to his reputation, who gave him an extraordinary character and declared to the court that he had served under his command and been in two engagements with him against the French, in which he fought as well as any man he ever saw, that there were only Kidd's ship and his own against Monsieur de Casse, who commanded a squadron of six sail, and they got the better of him. But this being several years before the facts mentioned in the indictment were committed, proved of no manner of service to the prisoner on his trial. As to the friendship shown to Culliford, a notorious pirate, Kidd denied and said he intended to have taken him, but his men being a parcel of rogues and villains, refused to stand by him, and several of them ran away from his ship to the said pirate. But the evidence being full and particular against him, he was found guilty as before mentioned. When Kidd was asked what he had said to say why sentence should not pass against him, he answered that he had nothing to say, but that he had been sworn against by perjured and wicked people. And when sentence was pronounced, he said, My lord, it is a very hard sentence. For my part, I am the most innocent person of them all. Only I have been sworn against by perjured persons. Wherefore, about a week after, Captain Kidd, Nicholas Churchill, James Howe, Gabriel Loth, Hugh Parrott, Abel Owen, and Darby Mullins were executed at Execution Dock, and afterwards hung up in chains at some distance from each other, down the river where their bodies hung exposed for many years. Kidd died hard, for the rope with which he was first tied up broke with his weight and he tumbled to the ground. He was tied up a second time and more effectually. Hence came the story of Kidd's being twice hung. Such is Captain Kidd's true story, but it has given birth to an innumerable progeny of traditions. The report of his having buried great treasures of gold and silver, which he actually did before his arrest, set the brains of all the good people along the coast in a ferment. There were rumors on rumors of great sums of money found here and there, sometimes in one part of the country, sometimes in another, of coins with Moorish inscriptions, doubtless the spoils of his eastern prizes. Some reported the treasure to have been buried in solitary, unsettled places about Plymouth and Cape Cod. But by degrees, various other parts, not only on the eastern coast, but along the shores of the Sound, and even Manhattan and Long Island, were gilded by these rumors. In fact, the vigorous measures of Lord Bellamont had spread sudden consternation among the pirates in every part of the provinces. They had secreted their money and jewels in lonely, out-of-the-way places, about the wild shores of the seacoast, and dispersed themselves over the country. The hand of justice prevented many of them from ever returning to regain their buried treasures, which remain to this day thus secreted and are irrecoverably lost. This is the cause of those frequent reports of trees and rocks bearing mysterious marks, supposed to indicate the spots where treasure lay hidden, and many have been the ransackings after the pirate's booty. 
a rocky place on the shores of Long Island called Kid's Ledge, has received great attention from the money diggers, but they have not as yet discovered any treasures. End of section 10. Recording by Brian von Diedenroth. www.vondedenroth.com